I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. In January, unemployment was down, the stock market was up, and by and large, everyone planned on 2020 being a really good year. The only complaint was too much work at a frenetic pace. Well, fast forward to May, which is when today's episode was recorded, and everything is different. The outside world has shut down, and all of us have retreated to our homes. When you open up your email, you'll find many invitations for webinars discussing how to emerge successfully from the COVID-19 crisis. However, my next guest believes we have to learn some key lessons about energy, balance, and boundaries before we can transform out of COVID-19. Kanu Kogod is an anthropologist, a PhD, a master certified coach, and owner and founder of Bridges in Organizations. She developed and facilitated an award-winning transformational leadership program called Leadership Alchemy for NASA, and she has worked with individuals and now teams on transformation. In this fascinating discussion, Kanu talks about four key energy types that govern all behavior, where in the body to tap into our intuition, and how we all can transform ourselves teams, and companies by allowing the inner world of intuition to take on a greater importance in how we live our lives. Well, Kanu, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, this podcast. And I just wanted to maybe start us off, you know, when we're doing this interview, we're still in the throes of the COVID-19 crisis. And I was just looking in my email and yet again, there was another invitation to a podcast or a webinar about how do we survive this event and how do we then begin to visualize what our businesses should look like in the future? A lot about that focus. And what it made me start to think about, and I'd love to get your take on this, is that it seems that transformation often is inspired by some sort of lesson that we need to learn. Like, let's just not jump ahead and get into the solution, but why are we needing to create the solution in the first place? Because so many businesses, myself included, were starting off 2020 with Mm -hmm. a really rosy look on the year. And here we are. What lesson do you think we need to learn that if we learn it, will make our transformation all the more powerful? That's such a great question, um, Dean. I think for many of us, we have been in a world where our attention is grabbed all the time outwardly. Again and again and again, attention is like the commodity that people are buying, you know, online. Can I have your attention? Can you buy this? Can you get this? Can you, you know, attention has become a commodity. And the pandemic has given us an absolutely incredible opportunity to retreat, to go inside, to look within, to create our own kind of retreat. People, I just talked with a client this morning where she said, you know, I haven't spent this much time with my family in years. <laughs> and her her kids are uh, teenagers. And she said, you know, we're just together all the time now. We have lunch and dinner and it's really, it's not always easy. There's a lot of emotion there. However, 
there's still this opportunity to create a different kind of looking at what matters and what's important and what we really care about. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons of the pandemic. You know, we could look at the earth healing. I'm in Florida right now. And before the beach opened, the birds were all out on the beaches. Mm. And I had, I could get to the beach and be there uh, where I wasn't, I wasn't trespassing on public land. And so you see these birds and they were mating and they were happy and they were just like in flocks all over the beach. And the people returned this past week and honestly, it's a totally different thing. There's a few birds here and there, but they're not, they're, they're intimidated by all the people. They're not, they're not back like they were. So the earth have this, is having this opportunity to heal. And we are the earth. We are not separate from the earth. We are made from earth. We go back to earth. So this opportunity that we have to refresh ourselves like the earth is being refreshed, we are no different. We need that refreshment and that refinement. So I think that's one of the biggest gifts of this time. When I'm on a vacation, I have this commitment after that I have refreshed and relaxed and spent time with family and got out in nature more that I'm going to take this and I'm going to keep this as part of my life, that this just can't be a refresher that Dean gets to rest up and then just go right back into the same level of intensity that he had before. Yes. And that's what I'm always concerned about, about coming back on my vacation. And I think a lot of people are that way. We just go right back to the fray that we were yeah. so yeah. much in need of the refresher for the first place. So is there something that you think that we should be doing now to ensure that the refresher is maintained once the economy and business and all the other things come back? I was even just thinking last night, as I was talking to my wife, I said, things are beginning to pop now. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited and went, but I can't, we can't go back the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we're beginning to have those conversations like, yeah. because there were some really good things, but some things that were not sustainable. What's your sense about that? I have a, a conflicting sense, quite honestly. Um, you know, when you talked about the idea of keeping the refreshing, holding on to the refreshment, I don't think it's going to be possible. And that's the, that's the tension there because if you look at the laws of the universe, we have, uh, we have, this has been a time of contraction. You know, things are all getting confined. We're going inside. We are contracted. That is a good thing. What happens, and what happens if the release is too fast and too powerful is it's like an expansion happens too fast and it's like the balloon could burst. When a balloon is in its contracted state, it's got all kinds of possibilities. It's not going to br- break. But when you start pushing it to expand, and if you expand it really fast, and you know those kind of tight balloons that, that, that pop really fast if you push too hard on them, that's what it feels like this could possibly be an analogy for that. Because some of the bad behaviors that I'm hearing about now about the ways people are acting. And I saw this again on the beach. You know, the beach is a great little microcosm of life. There were, there were like 15 high school kids, um, boys, that were in a huge congregated group, none wearing masks, none social distancing, and, and being in such a big group that nobody could actually walk around them very easily on the path to the beach. 
um, which is where I encountered them. So it's a very interesting dynamic when, when, you know, especially kids who have been held in for so long, they just want to get out and they just want to be back with their friends. And it's a really good thing that we've had this time. But if we're, if the question that you, the second question that I heard you say is, okay, so how do we hold on to this? If this is the downside of it, that the balloon could just, you know, the expansion could happen so fast, we're just going to be popped all over again. We could start the, the, you know, COVID could come back really quickly. You know, I don't, I hate to even think of what the impact could be of expanding too quickly. However, that said, if we can really take the lessons of this time, if we can really say, I'm not ready to go back to business as usual, then we have to build some boundaries in. And I've been, uh, I've learned these four energies, and this is goes with what I'm working on right now, which is all around reinvention. I think you wanted to talk a little bit about reinventing after this time. So there's four energies that every human that we all have the capacity for and energy takes many forms you know it can energy works in many ways we've got gravity we've got we've got dynamic energy you can force energy you can you can pull energy so these four energies come from the way actors use energy and they're called push pull stop and allow and so an actor, when an actor, and you, we're all familiar with what we've been doing so far, which is push. We have been really good at pushing. Not so good at pulling, which is an adaptive. Uh, pushing has got the element of fire in it and, it, and it's got a lot of determination in it, and it can be really forceful. If push were a noun, and we wanted to make an archetype with it, in its negative side, it would be a bully. In its best side, it would be a hero. And we could call that person a warrior. However, it's just much more helpful to think of it in terms of energy as a dynamic energy that's moving, so push. And so when we're in fire and we're determined and we're pushing, that's where we've been and that's where this whole society has been. What has to happen is to be able to use the other two energies, stop and allow, much more powerfully. Pull is an energy of water. It allows us to adapt. And so what we've been doing for this last time of the pandemic is we adapted. We took a new shape. Water takes the shape of whatever the container is. So we've taken on a new shape. We've adapted. We've done pretty well to adapt to these conditions. And today I heard the jobless numbers. They were unbelievably off the charts. Yeah. 14%, I think it was. Yeah. Over that yeah. now they're saying too. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it could yeah. be as high as 23%. Right. It's like, that's astounding. That's astounding. And I know it's affected my business for sure. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing is pretty much hopefully people have savings or they have some way of not going hungry. There are food banks. There are places where people are getting food. There's a lot of help um, coming in different ways. However, we've adapted. As much as we can, we've adapted. After the initial toilet paper hoard and the paper towel hoard, we've adapted, right? So the energy that is really critical for us to take into a new world is to allow, to create better boundaries, 
about what's okay to do and what's not okay to do, and that stop. We have to have new structures, new boundaries that are going to allow us to say, you know, I'm going to move my attention. If my attention isn't a commodity and energy follows attention and I have control over where my energy is going to go, I'm going to put my energy around creating some new boundaries for myself. I'm going to reinvent some new boundaries. And at the same time, I'm going to allow what is to happen. I'm going to allow things to unfold. As my wonderful coaching mentor and teacher always said, Julio Alala, he said, what wants to manifest? What wants to manifest now? Such a great question. What wants to manifest now? And we have to allow what wants to manifest now. And it could be a completely new career for some people. It could be a reinvention. Could be, could be just different ways of thinking, being more creative, becoming more entrepreneurial. There are lots of ways that um, we could reinvent if we use the energies of stop and allow more powerfully. Yes, we have to push. I think we want to pull things toward us. And we want to magnify and amplify things to come toward us and allow things to come toward us through pull energy. And a great way to think about pull, a great way to think about pull is think about a spider in a web. You know, the spider doesn't push. The spider doesn't go out and grab anything. The spider just builds its web and it builds its web really in a, like in a crucial timing and a crucial location where things are going to get caught in it. And our thoughts, our mind thoughts are like a spider's web. We attract things to it. So if we think about the future in a way that we can allow it to unfold, that we can take the worry and the anxiety out of it, and we can use our intuition to move forward and create what it is that we want to have happen, then a whole new world can open up for us. And we have to be creative and innovative to let that happen. So pull and allow and stop if we can use those energies and, and attend to those energies, I think we can create a whole new way to come out of this pandemic. So what were the four? Push, again? pull, stop, and allow. Stop and allow. Push, pull, stop, and allow. And let me give credit to Laura Fine, who created the energy system of acting and create, and also to give credit to my dear friend, Michelle Shea, who uh, is an actress, a Broadway Tony Award winning actress, and also a uh, director, a producer, a um, acting coach, and a healer. And she's the one who introduced me to Push, Pull, Stop, and Allow. And she has a whole system of helping actors work with these energies from the different energy centers in the body, the different chakras in the body. And she uses those to wake people up. I applied it by looking at these energies and how we express them in language how we express them in our body, how we express them in our emotions, and how we begin to identify with our energetic presence, that part of us that makes us alive, that spiritual side of us that um, is so often neglected. And so using these energies in a different kind of way, that's what I'm writing about now. Wonderful. So Kano, 
somebody wakes up six o'clock in the morning, gets a glass of water, and they're in a pattern of worry, like a lot of us are, we've lost a sense of control, we've lost maybe even a sense of connection because of our need to stay with social distancing rules. And this pattern of, of worry keeps coming up for obvious and understandable reasons. And I love your four different energies. Is there something that's tangible that that person could do to tap into some of the things you're talking about? How do we operationalize these four energies when maybe I'm having a bad day? Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me start with a very simple, a simple way of talking about it. Um, right. If you were a person that um, went out to work every day and you stopped at Starbucks on your way to work and you had a habit of picking up your Starbucks coffee and um, you got your coffee and you went to work, that was your habit. And now the pandemic broke that habit. So, you know, habits are breaking apart for a lot of people. So that's, that's a good thing because we can reorganize um, during a time where we're, when, when things are in flux when things are a bit chaotic, it's actually a good thing to um, be able to break some habits that haven't been working. So let's say coffee is your first thing. I'm going to come back to anxiety, don't worry, but I'm going to start with this coffee example because it's a better one. So now that you're at home, you could, um, if you have to, and you can't go out to Starbucks, your local Starbucks is far away, you're social distancing, you're making your own coffee. But what if you can't get your own coffee? Okay, so you had a push toward coffee. Your coffee was a push. I, I, I'm, I'm pushing myself to get my coffee. Now I'm pulling to get my coffee because I'm making it at home. And I'm bringing that to me. I've brought pull to me. I brought it to me, like the spider in the web. I bring the coffee to me. I'm making my own coffee. Okay, now let's say... I say, okay, well, really caffeine isn't that good. This is a great time for me to kick the habit of drinking coffee, period. So I'm going to allow myself to get my caffeine, but in a lower dose through tea. So I allow myself to drink tea. Or let's say I want to break the coffee habit altogether. Now that I can't get my Starbucks, I just want to stop coffee altogether. It's, it's cost me a lot of money. And I really don't think caffeine is great for my heart, so I want to stop. So that's a really simple analogy, a way to say this is with coffee as a habit. Okay, let's get back to your example, which is anxiety. What do I do if I want to stop put, like having that um, fire? And I'm going to use fire as the elemental of push. Um, the fire of anxiety. If you could compare anxiety to a fire, and I wake up with a fire in me that feels hot, and that is anxiety, and it just rumination over and over and over again. And it's like this, you don't get to the goal in anxiety. You, you never reach the goal. You never get the coffee. You never stop the anxiety by thinking about anxiety. It just doesn't work that way. Anxiety just creates more anxiety. Whatever you focus on expands. Energy follows attention. So if your energy and your attention is going toward anxiety, you're going to fuel it more. So you have to give it something else, a different, you want to pull something else. You want to put another practice in its place. And you would pull a practice toward you. So when you wake up in the morning, your first 
thing before you get to anxiety. Your first thing is, okay, I'm going to tune into uh, an app on meditation. Um, I think there's something called uh, 10% Happier Now or Calm or um, I like doing yoga in the morning. I like to stretch before I do other do my morning practices. Um, and I stretch first and then I go into a meditation. Down Dog has an incredible app that you can um, do your amount of yoga that you want. Um, you can set it for 10 minutes if you wanted to and just do some stretching or you can set it for more. You can set it at any level. It's a great app for stretching. So find some practice that you do if you have a lot of anxiety and you want to quit anxiety, you want to put something in its place. Anxiety will still rear up. However, if you create a new habit and have that habit reinforced again day after day after day and that's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning you're pulling something new to you you're doing a new practice um, you're stopping anxiety you're eventually stopping anxiety now sometimes you can't really stop anxiety if if it's a if it's a chronic thing and it becomes chemical in the body I had for a time in my life I had um, migraine headaches that were really bad and I don't really know for sure what the cause was, but I know when I, when I stopped calling them my headaches as if they were a, a part of me, like I owned them, they were my headache and they were a character of me. They were a part of my makeup, my genetic, genetic makeup, like anxiety could be, well, that's just me. I have anxiety. You know, if you can, if you can, take away that that anxiety belongs to me and it's just kind of out there as energy, like the headache. When I, when I stop saying my headache, I could start to look at the headache as just energy. And I could see that if I focused in on the energy of the headache, focused in on the pain and allowed it to be there, it would begin to dissolve. So sometimes anxiety is not something you want to run from. If there's a real cause for something, for anxiety, like, look, I have no money in my life. I, I'm worried about where my next paycheck is coming from. That anxiety is very real. You're waking up with a pit in your stomach. You know, it, it doesn't have to become chronic. I think the real fear is when it just becomes a habit and we wake up with it day after day after day. So allowing the anxiety to push you into some forward action is a good thing. I've been talking to other clients about this as well, that it seems that people are agreeing that there are certain lessons that they're learning and many of the things that you sort of touched upon would not have happened had they not gone through this. Yeah. There is something about this intensity that is setting the stage for learning could only happen this way. Yeah. And if we take that approach. So you, you touched upon it as well. You mentioned the word intuition a few times. And I see it has sort of a, a play in all of this. Yes. What role does intuition play in our ability to learn these lessons, transform during this time? And how do we tap into that? Well, that's a great question. 
Your questions are so good, Dean. <laughs> They're really good. I have to say, you know, sometimes the questions can be really dry and uh, you're- So where did you go to school? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really. <laughs> you're a great listener and you ask great questions. And that's, a, that's such a wonderful gift. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Oh, thank you. I've been trained by the best, you know? Yeah. <laughs> my mutual friends. Yes. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, okay. So- so um, what was the question again? Though? <laughs> <laughs> we got off on that. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what role does intuition play as we transform throughout this crisis? Oh. And how do we tap into it? Great. Beautiful. Okay. Well, intuition, let me say that intuition comes from different parts of the body. If we just define intuition as knowing without knowing why you know, but you know, and, and intuition is that sense of knowing without knowing why you know something. And so if you don't have an explanation for knowing it, you just know it and you know it to be true for you. So knowing can come from different parts of the body. Intuition can come from different parts of the body. So in the primal brain, in the limbic uh, brain, in the lower level of the limbic system, that's where the fight, flight, or freeze comes from. The intuition to know you're in danger, you know, when the hair stands up on the back of your head or whatever they call that feeling was, you know, when you're being followed, that's an intuition of danger. That comes from that fight, flight, or freeze intuition. And that's a fantastic thing to know and to have. It's just built into us. And thank God that it is so we know how to get out of danger. And intuition can also come from the gut, from the enteric body from the gut the stomach knowing this is embarrassing but i'm going to tell you what one of my it is embarrassing to say but one of my passions is i I'm, I'm writing now when i'm writing i'm using movies to use the case examples instead of 33 years of being in a this profession Instead of using and drawing on all the stories that I have from all the years of working with clients, I said, nah, that's dry. What does everybody know? And what can everybody relate to? It's a movie, right? So I was watching this little scene where this guy um, is in a, a battle and his head is, he's got a head injury. And so he's not really thinking clearly, but somebody who's like trying, who's with treachery is trying to get to him. He's the king, right? And this warrior uh, wants to take the king's place and wants to get rid of the king, right? Tries to present himself and the king is disoriented. So uh, this warrior is trying to represent himself as like an upstanding guy, like, I'm cool, you, you can trust me, right? And the king goes, I know you're lying to me. And, I, and he goes, how can you know I'm lying to you? And he goes, my stomach is telling me. My stomach is telling me. I thought that is such a great line. Perfect. That's such a great line. My he has a head injury. His head's not telling him this. My stomach is telling me, right? That's such a perfect thing. So uh, yeah, our stomach tells us, and we—it's the vagus nerve that is that sends messages up from the abdominal area through the nervous system. If you want to pay attention to that enteric system that that you know uh, the system that um from the belly that's where you really want to pay attention to your vagus nerve and calm the vagus nerve so you can get the messages from your belly 
and let your body speak to you because the body never lies. Can we tap into that while we are feeling anxious or do we need to resolve the anxiety before we can tap into that kind of intuition? That's such a great question. Another great question. I think it's a for two. Yeah, you are both. (laughs) And I think it's a both. And I think it happens simultaneously. I don't think you can separate. And the other place that intuition comes from is from the heart. The heart sends nine times more messages up to the brain than the brain. There's 40,000 neuronal cells in the heart. So the heart is a brain of its own. And when we talk about I, we, we put our hand over our heart, the center, the energy center of our body, which is in the middle of the chest is the heart chakra, is that energy center there. So if the heart is telling you something it, and the anxiety is coming from the mind, the mind is ruminating, the mind is just in this habit. It's created neuronal patterns where the, the habit of anxiety is going through again and again. Now, this is not acute anxiety. This is chronic anxiety, just to make a good demarcation of it. So it could come from the belly. It could come from the heart. It has to, letting the body's intuition override the anxiety is a great gift. And we can do that. It's really by having greater somatic awareness and becoming much more aware of your body sensations at the same time as you are aware of the environment around you. And so it's coming into the present moment and allowing your whole body, like because I just gave three places where intuition is coming from, if you allow your whole body and these felt sensations of your body, maybe it's a little jittery feeling. So you want to calm the body down and that calms the anxiety down. You want to move the body in such a way that the anxiety quiets. That's why yoga is such a good thing, you know, especially Mm. if you've got a chattering mind doing yoga exercises with the breathing. The breathing calms the mind. Pranayama, breath exercise, is the most powerful reduction, stress reducer, anxiety reducer we could have. So for those who don't know, could you give us a quick rundown of what pranayama yoga is, that breathing that you just talked about? There's many forms, there's many ways that we can practice these exercises of breathing. I would suggest people to, um, and because this is a short interview, but for people right. to go online okay. and Good to point. look at look at breathing exercises online. However, I will say this, it's really important. The, the breath is the bridge between the body and the mind. If you think of breath as the bridge between the body and the mind and you focus on your breath, it'll immediately take you into felt sensations of your body and bring you into the present moment. I want to go back to something you said, if I could, because it's something that I'm curious about. I've heard this before, that you can feel a sense of your intuitive knowing through different parts of your body. And I, I understand that. I've experienced that. And sometimes it's not even a, a physical sensation. It's just sort of this this sort of knowing, and I can't put my words to it, but it just feels like, yes, this is what I should be doing or not doing. The concept around intuition coming from your heart is a little foreign to me, and maybe it is for others. I know what my stomach feels like. I know what the <laughs> back of my, my hair and my arms feel like. That is a tangible, known experience that I think people relate to. But the idea of, of the heart, I know I, I get that we, we put our hand here to indicate self, what 
can you tell us that the physical sensation might be that says, I'm now tapping into heart intuition? Ah, that's great. Because I don't know whether I have heart intuition if I don't have some sort of experience or or how do I know that it's it's activated? When's it on? When's it off? Yeah. Okay. So I would love to, again, because this is a short time that we have together, but I want to point people to an amazing group of people called, uh, it's, it's the HeartMath Institute. HeartMath looks at heart variability rates. And um, if you don't know that your heart is shifting and telling you something, you can actually hook up to a little um, thing that I have it on my smartphone and it hooks into my smartphone. You uh, attach your, your, you put your uh, index finger into this little um, pincher thing and it, and it reads, it reads your heart variability rate. And heart variability is what tells you I'm now in the parasympathetic state. I am now in that slow down, relaxed state. And from there, you may not, you may not actually have a physical sensation. You may have a, if you close your eyes, you may see luminosity. You may have just a feeling of light surrounding you. You may have a sense that your body is expanding and it's expanding beyond your skin. It just feels like you've got more space around you. That is a heartfelt sensation of energy moving from the heart. The heart is really the hub. If you think of it, it's another spiritual teaching that is so dear to me that came from uh, Bhagwan Nityananda is the heart is the hub of the universe. Go there and roam. The heart mm. is the hub of the universe. Go there and roam. Such an incredible mm. um, understanding because the heart is an expansive cave. It's not limited. The heart, that's where we are, microcosm and macrocosm. The heart is what gives us this incredible largesse to be a part of oneness. And so it's through the cave of the heart that expands into this oneness that we become, that we have that feeling of loss of separation and that we're much bigger. So, so it may not be a physical sensation. And if you want to know that you're having an opening of the energetic heart, get the heart math biofeedback piece and you'll know. I know Joe Dispenza talks about it at times, and that's been referenced in some of his talks, and it, it's come up. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh -huh. Wonderful resource. So heartfelt thanks for being a part of this. Uh, sorry for the pun, but I really do <laughs> feel uh, blessed to be able to have you because we could talk about this, I'm sure, for hours and hours on this. Um, how can people connect to you when what's coming up that we should be aware of? Um, my website is old. So if you look at uh, Kanu at leadershipalchemy.com, that's a website that I have. And I also have Kanu at Bridges in Organizations. Um, so it's Kanu at Bridges-in-orgs.com. I have to say, you can get in touch with me through my website. However, they are in the process of being reinvented because I'm using this time to reinvent myself. And I'm moving more toward team coaching. So I, um, I'm an anthropologist. That's my profession. And my doctorate is in anthropology, and I'm a master certified coach. And I want to become more involved in systemic coaching and working with teams. 
And so I'm shifting um, from being an executive coach and doing organizational culture change to just working with teams to do the culture change because it's these small groups that uh, can become powerhouses. I think Margaret Mead said it. It's through a small group of people that the whole world can change. Yeah. Mm. So uh, wonderful. She, she's my she's my heroine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, how people can get in touch with me. Uh, easiest one is kanu at leadershipalchemy.com. Just write to me and I'd be happy to respond. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your insights and your, and your energy. Oh, you're so welcome, Dean. And I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.